Gear up as Katz Miller and his team of accomplished guests steer you on an enlightening voyage filled with valuable tips, fresh insights, and effective strategies. Welcome to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. Hello, everyone. My name is Cash Miller. I am the host of Marketing Masters, CEO of Titan Digital. Today, I've got with me Jeff Lerner of Misnomer. He has uh, got an agency out in San Diego, California. We're going to be talking about brand building for like startups, you know, because there are so many companies that get out the gate and they do it wrong. And we're here to, you know, hopefully solve that problem. Jeff, it's great having you on. Tell us a bit about your agency, what you do, and also why the name of your agency. Thank you, Cash. Great to be here. Um, so yeah, I am a fractional CMO. Uh, I've spent the last few years working with multiple startups on their brand strategy, how they go to market, um, you know, identifying their, their ICP and really building their brands to succeed in the long term. Uh, I've been in marketing for 20 plus years. I've worked at, at big corporations like Google and AT&T. I've worked at smaller organizations and, and throughout uh, learned the process and the understanding of what it means to build a brand, to build a product uh, and bring it to market. You know, the, the, the background behind the name of the organization is, is really, um, you know, I, I spoke to quite a few startups and they would, you know, we were talking just about the name um, and they would struggle with naming their own businesses. And in fact, sometimes would be using a name that was so uh, almost confusing to what their business model looks like. And so that's what a misnomer is. A misnomer is yeah. a wrong or incorrect name, um, you know, or description. So, you know, it, it kind of was suited, you know, for me to, to, to use that as my company name to say, you know, almost kind of jokingly, you know, having the wrong name can, can set you back. And so uh, just part of that, you know, startup building the brand mentality. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's a great place to start because, you know, when you're building a brand, um, you know, a lot of startup businesses, they don't really consider necessarily the name of their business the way they should. Um, when I first got into this business, uh, I met a guy who does brand naming, you know, you literally pay him to name your business. He does it to the, you know, to this day, one of the companies that he helped name is the the storage company pods. Yeah. Uh, and that name ended up spot on, but I know, you know, for what they do, cause it's literally here, we drop off a storage kind of looks like a pod. Right. But they spent a ton of time naming it. And, you know, the, your, the name of your business goes into part of the foundation, right? It, it sure does. And, you know, it's, there are, use cases and examples of names that that mean something you know and, and have you know are trying to indicate something through the naming so pods is a great example you know what is the product the product is a pod it shows up at your house it's for storage you know and i think the the abbreviation in fact is you know pods was like portable on demand storage like so yeah. it worked in i mean that's a, a brilliant naming of an organization then you look at, you know, other companies and how they name themselves. And it's kind of, you know, like Apple computer, for example, like Apple, like it didn't, there was nothing that, you know, 
correlated between Apple and computers at the time, but now it's synonymous with that. You know, Nike, yeah. I don't think was, you know, even a word, um, it, you know, until it was turned into the brand. And so there's the opportunity to both name something that doesn't have much meaning, but you turn it into the brand. Um, mm -hmm. And then there is, you know, the balance that you're trying to strike with other things. And, you know, my, one of my favorite examples of this is, you know, the idea of brands and how they overtake an industry. Um, people go to grab, yeah. you know, a, a tissue and, and people say, oh, can you hand me a Kleenex? Like, mm -hmm. that's the brand. Like, it's a tissue, but people almost synonymously say it's just like, you know, yeah. says like, hey, I'm going to go hop in my jacuzzi. Well, jacuzzi is a brand, but it's actually a hot tub or whatever yeah. it may be. So it's how you name your organization could have such a big impact. Yeah, it's it really matters a great deal. There's a really good book out there um, called Shoe Dog that was written by the founder of Nike, um, Phil Knight, and he does discuss you know a little bit about how they came about with Nike because originally it was um, Blue Ribbon Sports. Yeah, they say, and the Blue Ribbon was based on just that. The first place ribbon was always blue, you know, and you know his background was in running. You know, he was a uh, marathon runner. You know, and on the track teams and stuff at like the university of Oregon. And, um, you know, so you think about, you know, that there is a deeper meaning. Kleenex is a great example. Even if you're not using the Kleenex brand, you're still asking for a Kleenex. It could be a totally, you know, just generic brand. And so really well-named products become synonymous. You know, like I said, we think of Apple. Are you asking for the fruit? Or are you asking about the computer? Because, you know, I've got an, you know, like that's literally, you know, what happens. It's like um, with computers too. Like you think of Apple, well, when they named the Mac, yeah, I have a Mac. I don't say I have an Apple laptop. I say I have a Mac and everybody knows what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And that's what really like the core of, you know, new businesses when they get going, really thinking about um, what they're going to, you know, name themselves, it really does matter. And you really got to take some time to do it. it exactly. It, you know, again, it's, there are so many elements that go into building a brand. And that one, what you name your brand can oftentimes be something that boosts the brand awareness and the adoption very quickly or it could be something that distracts from it. And so it is yeah. a very fundamental part of what it means to create a new brand. Yeah, so the name of your business would be considered part of the foundation of the brand you're gonna build. What are some of the other things? You know, startup businesses, there's a number of things you need to be paying attention to. So what are some of the other foundational elements that startup businesses need to really be considering when they're, you know, thinking about what kind of, a, you know, what they're going to do to build their brand. Sure. And I'm, I'm glad you used the word foundational because that's actually something that I focus on. Um, I even have a page of my site dedicated to what I call foundational marketing, um, which is before you think about investing a dollar into advertising, before you think about what it means to expand your business, your product set, all of those other additional elements, Foundational marketing is understanding who is our co core audience? What does our target look like? 
Um, it's building the, it's really answering the question of who are we as an organization, not just what do we do? Uh, a lot of times startups are so focused on the product that they have that they're not spending any time thinking about like, who are they really? What are they serving? You know, who are they serving? Mm -hmm. What challenges are they helping overcome? And what is their core mission and vision? And I always give an example. I worked at a startup and I walked in, you know, it was kind of, you know, third week or something like that. And I sat with the executive team and I gave them all a piece of paper and it had the name of the company and it said, is a blank, blank organization. And I said, <laughs> I want you all to fill this out in two words. If you need three words, I'll give you three, but two words or, you know, two or three words say this company is a blank, blank organization. And of the eight people in the room, I got five different answers. And I said, right here, right now, this is our fundamental problem. Because if we can't agree on who we are as an organization, how do we ever expect our sales teams, our marketing collateral, and most importantly, our customers to talk about us? Yeah. And so that brought everything back to the foundation of let's answer those questions first. Yeah, those questions, it makes, you know, that makes total sense because they say, if you can't describe your business, if you can't say what it is internally, there's no way you're going to explain it to the public. That's right. Yeah. And, the, and those questions, you know, that, that particular one is like, what do we do? Who do we serve? What need do we fill? Yeah. Where, you know, and what, what place in the market, you know, are we going to take? you know, for a business, you know, and mm -hmm. every business is going to answer that, th that differently. That's uh, right. It, it's, it's also a question of why us and not them, mm -hmm. you know, most organizations, most startups have some sort of competitor already in the space or similar competitors. And so the, they have to answer that question of why are we a better solution than yeah. what already exists. Because if they can't answer that question, then it's it's almost, well, then why are you trying to, to infiltrate this market in the first place? You know, maybe there is just a ton of market share available, but if you can't really articulate why you're trying to go after this and what you can offer that someone else cannot, I usually have a moment of pause and say to these organizations, okay, let's let's be realistic about the expectations for the growth of your business. Yeah. One of the um, earliest business lessons I ever got was from my father. And he um, made clear to me, when you're thinking about, you know, the market you're in, make the assumption that everyone has someone. Okay. So, because there's always somebody you can buy from. Like you could take Walmart and, you, can, you know, you can say, well, they have tons of customers that come in. So if you shop at Walmart, that's, you know, Walmart is your someone. Okay. Versus who goes to target, you know, versus who might, you know, use like we in our business use a lot of different software and, and things, you know, so everyone has someone, there's some sort of service provider at some level that people are already using for almost everything. You know, it could be the plumber that you go back to two or three times or whatever over the course of a couple of years, but you think of the next time you need them, you go back to the same people, whatever it may be. So, how do you differentiate yourself from the someone that they're already using that makes you stand out and makes them want to make a switch? You know, cause I say, yes, 
there are going to be people that are not necessarily using anybody, but then you still have to be in front of them and you still have to convince them why you versus someone else. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, uh, a client that's in real estate and, you know, someone local who I know and, and, you know, came to me and said, you know, the real estate market, you know, is very competitive. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I face all these challenges because there's, how do you differentiate, you know, as, as a real estate agent against everybody else who's a real estate agent? Like, it almost seems like there's not an opportunity yeah. for differentiation. Um, and I sat down with her and we talked through the business a little bit. And, and I said, you know, you've done quite a bit in terms of foreclosed properties. And yeah. she said, yeah. And I said, why don't you own that space? You, you become known as the real estate agent who can help with foreclosed property. You know that, not that any other real estate agent doesn't know these things, but own that, make that your go-to-market yeah. strategy. And so she did, she changed her business around, she folk, I mean, she didn't really change her business model, she just changed her marketing approach yeah. as someone who specializes in foreclosures. And sure enough, her business took off and anybody who was either looking to buy a house that was foreclosed upon or sell was coming was to her, her because they just yeah. believed she was the expert of experts when it came to real estate foreclosures. And again, other plenty of other you know realtors have that expertise. She just branded herself that way and it helped her business take off from that standpoint. So again, it's all about the marketing and the brand and the messaging. Yeah, I've, you know, a lot of times, um, in the agency business, they'll talk about going after a, spe a specific niche, you know, and saying, okay, you know, specialize in that one thing. I'm not totally a fan of doing that from an agency perspective because of the, th of the thing is, is like, I say, you have other people, you just said it, you know, that could do the real estate. All she did was market herself as being the expert. And that's what a lot of businesses actually are able to do. You know, they don't necessarily have to be specific to, a, you know, a niche. They just need to be able to show that they understand it, you know, that particular market. And if they do, you can still work with others, but you can build a lot of, you know, clientele because I'm, I'm a believer in our business that the people work with, you know, typically two types of companies, either it's somebody going to be local, you know, cause they want to sit down with them and do things that way, or it's going to be someone that says and shows they're an expert in that particular industry, you know, and that's why companies end up specializing. So, you know, but you don't necessarily have to specialize to still be able to show it because, you know, a lot of what you may do applies to a bunch of other industries. So it's not saying I'm going to turn away that business. It's just saying I'm going to focus a lot of marketing, like you just said, on this particular area or segment or skill set, you know, that can be offered. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's kind of what I do with my business, right? So, you know, I talk about being a, found, uh, a fractional CMO for startups because I have a lot of experience with startups. I know the challenges that startups face. I know the, you know, the cultural, you know, challenges that often go along with a very scrappy, lean, you know, financially challenged organizations that are just trying to get off the ground in some way, shape or form. But at the same time, I've led marketing teams at 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 and T, uh, Cricket Wireless, and other large publicly traded companies. And so, 
while I, I, you know, market myself as that fractional CMO for startups, I can certainly step in. And one of my, my clients now is a large publicly traded company that needed some help with something. And so yeah. it's, it's all about finding that balance, but also being open to saying, Hey, like I am, my experience goes beyond just the marketing tactic that I have, you know, in place currently. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads us into like with businesses as part of the foundation, they need to understand the target audience. They need to understand, you know, cause if you're going to kind of tailor yourself a little bit, yeah, you, know, you need to know who you're doing it for. So what do businesses need to be doing, you know, with that in mind? Because a lot of the times, you know, I know I've heard the answer a bunch of times and I'm sure you have, well, everybody's our customer. Everybody like that's not the case. Yeah. You know, there are a bunch of people that will never use your service or don't have a need or whatever, you know? So how do they go defining it? Yeah. So that's a great point. You know, I, and I've heard that as well of like, Hey, we're just going to cast the widest net possible and see what we can <laughs> yeah. catch. And that's not, you know, that, that's not the answer either, because if you cast that wide net, you're going to catch a whole bunch of garbage that you probably are, are not looking for. Uh, yep. and it costs money to do that. Um, I am, you know, a big believer that if you don't identify and target your core audience from day one, uh, you will waste time, energy and, and finances, you know, in the process. And so, you know, it really comes down to understanding the buying patterns and behaviors of who makes the best customer for you. Um, and every startup, if you're building an organization, that should be part of your initial before I even have a, a product to sell or a service to offer needs to understand who would ultimately be the persona that would buy what it is that we're selling. You know, if you're in a, if you're a SaaS company, you need to be thinking, okay, what, what is the problem we're solving? And then who would be the purchasing uh, decision maker who would essentially want this service? And so we talk about, you know, marketing tools that, that we're always, you know, privy to and, and that come our way. And I get emails all day long from new companies that say, hey, we've created this new tool that does X, Y, and Z. And 90% of the time, I'm not the, the audience that they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and so they need to do a better job of, of understanding. I'm not saying their, their products don't have value, but I'm not the audience. So I tell all of my clients, as I'm sure you do as well in your business, that not only having an understanding of their buyers is important, it's really everything down to the persona of who are they? What does their profile ultimately look like? Where do they make their purchasing decisions? Where are they consuming content and media, in which case you would want to get in front of them? What are the challenges that they're facing and what are the triggers that would get them interested, right? So for some mm -hmm. people, it's here's a tool that will help you, you know, take, you know, free up your time because we know that that persona is typically overworked with a multitude of tasks <laughs> yeah. or it's here's something that will save you budget because they're in a position within their company where they're in control of a budget and that makes them look good. So there's a lot of those things, but that needs to be before a dollar is spent on marketing, before an email is sent, uh, needs to be core to every decision the business will make moving forward. 
Yeah. Let's let's talk the visual identity. Yeah, you know, of a business. If you've identified a you know that core audience, you say, okay, these are the people that we're going to, you know, we want to market to. Then you look at the the visual identity because people often think that you know the logo is the brand, and that's not the case. It's a piece of the brand, you know, because your messaging and everything also plays into it. But the um, but how much of an impact and does that visual identity that's developed for a startup business? really matter because not every you know logo that is you know like we think of you think of coke or pepsi or nike or apple i mean you've got you know some really significant like visual identities that are out there that are you know people know exactly who they are as soon as you see it i mean come on nike's is literally a swoosh but everybody will you know tell you exactly who it means and they don't have to have the name on there that's i mean that's like the extreme example of when it goes right you know, when you really developed it, but for every business, it matters, you know? So how much does the visual play a role in them building up their brand? It's a vital part, you know, and and like you said, Cash, it's the logo is part, the color palette's a part. It all comes together to form what is, you know, the foundation of the brand. Um, I've worked and partnered with quite a few startups where, I've said, hey, I, I, you know, I'm on your website. I let's talk about the colors that you have on here. Where did you come up with this? Like, how did this become your your brand? You know, from a visual perspective, and I, I almost brace myself waiting for a founder to say, <laughs> well, I I came up with it because I really like it. These are the colors yeah. that I like. You know, I know. and you know, immediately I know I'm in for a challenge of trying to you know, tell a founder, Hey, what you like doesn't necessarily matter <laughs> in the sense of yeah. you need to do what's going to work. And I know that's a, a huge challenge, you know, for, 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 you know, all of us, but it is so vital. And, and I explained to them, there's a reason why colors are play such an important role. And I always give the example, I tell them, Hey, think of every major U S airline, and financial institution. They all have a navy or dark blue as part of their color palette. And it's Mm -hmm. because that color signifies trust. And so this is intentional. Then I talked to them about, you know, the wireless space where I worked for AT&T and Cricket Wireless. When T-Mobile came into the space, they branded themselves as the uncarrier. That was their whole big marketing, yeah. the uncarrier. And their color is this bright magenta, which screams, we're not like the old school AT&T of the world. We yep. are something new. We are different. And so color reinforces messaging. And so it's that whole visual component of a logo plus the written content, the written part of the brand guidelines, as well as the visual elements, which will trigger the emotions that you want your customers to have. Yeah, that's the idea. Like we deal a lot in the insurance space and it's funny because we've done a lot of, you know, logo designs over the years for them. And I swear every one of them's got blue in it. Yep. Yeah, because it's a trusting thing. And if you're dealing with an agent, you want to trust them because you're thinking of your, you know, that insurance is a 
piece of your financial future, right. you know, whether it be like a life insurance policy or just a homeowner's policy. But if something happens, you need to trust that the insurance, you know, agent and company is going to take care of you. You know, so, you know, that's why like, um, you know, like reds and stuff are not, you know, there are certain colors you don't see in certain types of industries because of the, you know, kind of the meaning behind, you know, that particular color. And to your point, yeah, we've had to have those conversations over the years with, you know, owners and founders and whatnot of like, yeah, and it's extremely difficult for, for them to understand that it's not actually, yes, it's your brand, your logo and everything, but it's not really meant for you. You're not the audience. Right. Yeah. So you have to be putting yourself in the shoes of the people that are your audience. And what, you know, what are the things that are going to appeal to them? You know, I say, you don't matter unless you're going to buy everything from yourself. <laughs> that, <laughs> so that's exactly it's a tough right. conversation to have. It's, it's always challenging. It's always, it's also one of those things where you start a new relationship with someone like, and that's your first conversation and you're trying not to come across as, you know, you know, insensitive about what they've built because they're founders, right? Like they're owners of businesses. They have a lot of passion for what they do, but they're also extremely, um, sensitive about their business and they hold it close to them. And so here yeah. comes in the marketing consultant or fractional CMO and says, hey, you know, and the way I put it is you're an audience of one and we need to build a brand that's the audience of many. And, yeah. you know, while your opinion matters, I don't want to diminish your opinion as the founders and, you know, whatever it is. But ultimately, you need to build a brand that resonates with your customer base because mm-hmm. it will always resonate with you. Um, yeah, it's a tricky conversation. Yep. You know, it is very tricky. And of course they, for also later stage businesses, you can develop an attachment to it. So it can be really, you know, tough to, uh, to change it. And you know, like let's say it's understandable, but you still got to consider who the actual audience is of it. What are some of the other like pitfalls and things that you see, you know, because startups, they've got, they're going to have certain things in their head when they're getting going. So what are some of the things you've had to deal with in the past that are like, okay, this is not going to be your, the correct direction, you know, for you. And so things that you've had to, you know, I guess work to um, straighten out as it were, you know, when you're, you know, working on a brand and, you know, you're starting from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, there, there's quite a few different, you know, avenues that that startups go down that, you know, I'm not saying they're wrong necessarily, um, but just sometimes they kind of skip over some of the, the fundamental parts. You know, for example, um, you know, I've worked with startups that have not invested in their website, you know, and they'll say, oh, well, we have a site. It's not great. It's okay. But we're just going to go and, and hire salespeople and hit the phones and, you know, and do all these things. And yeah. You know, I'm always trying to bring them back into understanding that every email that they send, every phone call that they have, their website, any marketing collateral, it's all part of the sales process. And one of the biggest mistakes I see startups making is having a disjointed strategy when it comes to these touch points. And so Mm -hmm. a sales rep will put together an email that says X, Y, and Z, but then when someone 
goes to the website, it says something different or, you know, a little bit different way of phrasing their, their product or solution. And I walk these startups through, like you need to have consistency in, in the visual, right? So if somebody sees an ad, if they click on something and they go to your website, they should have the exact same visual experience. So they yeah. know that they are in the right place. They also need to have that same content experience. What is it that got them to take action? And is that being reinforced with a website? And then does the website help educate more and get that user further down the funnel? And so sometimes yeah. some of those elements, especially the investment in a website is overlooked. Um, on top of that as well, it's content development and creation. Um, I've talked to a lot of founders and they say, well, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to, or find the need to invest in content at this early stage. And for me, that's, that's a miss, you know, because content is what builds trust. Content yeah. is what showcases that this organization knows what it's doing. It knows the industry. It knows the challenges being faced by its target audience. Um, and it puts it out there and says, like, stake in the ground. This is who we are and what we represent and why we're here and continues to, sh to show some of that thought leadership. And so there's a lot of those kind of maybe not direct revenue drivers that startups overlook because they and, I, and rightfully so need to focus so much on how do we get the, that revenue in the door today. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about like we see often and I've told this to businesses, especially startups over the years is a website itself makes you either look like a really well-established organization or it will do the opposite. So you could be brand new and look like you've been at it for decades and you can be at it for decades and look like you're brand new because it is part of your brand. And this goes for any type of business. If, cause you, you made the point of, well, sales reps are going to hit the phones or whatever. We often run into people that say, well, I, you know, I get all my business based on referrals or whatever. And no matter what, they look you up online. So your brand that it is a foundation, you know, foundational piece of what your presence looks like online needs to be consistent. And then you take it across, you know, print pieces, you know, one sheets that you might be giving out, whatever it is. But people always end up on your website if you're talking to them at yeah. some point, you know, so if that is not taken care of, let's say, don't think of it as being a website, think of it as being part of your brand and it is an online extension of your brand. You know, so you want to be really focused on that and it, you know, because it will come into play and often it does it and you don't realize it. Yeah. Cause you've got somebody you've been taught. I get this all the time. I get cold emails constantly. Yeah. And a lot of people are pitching like here, we can get, you know, so many leads for your agency. So I have like people pitching me to get me, you know, business and you go to their website and it's, you know, one page it's, you know, I mean, basically it looks like they started yesterday, in which case, yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's no way they know what they're doing, right. you know, because they, you know, they look like they started yesterday. So I'm not going to waste my time even with the conversation. And, and, and I tell my, you know, any company I work with, startup, large company, Fortune 500, doesn't matter that your website needs to be the best salesperson in your company. And mm -hmm. just like you coach your sales teams to do better, it also means that you don't just get a website and say, we're done. It means you iterate, you test, you improve, 
you make changes to your website constantly to ensure that it continues to solve the needs of those who visit. And yeah. so if your website becomes the number one sales rep in the company, then you are doing something right because not only is it cost effective that way, but it also means you get to put more information in front of them. You get to build different types of content, whether it's multimedia, video content, text, articles, thought leadership, blog posts, one pagers, whatever it looks like in front of them and have let people consume your information in the way that they want, which will only deepen their engagement level with you. So focus on the website rather than, oh, I just, you know, kind of need it as an afterthought. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been great. Do you have any last pieces of advice for startups and brands and, you know, how they should be thinking about this moving forward? Yeah. You know, it's to me, it's always asking those those tough questions right from the beginning, you know, sitting Mm -hmm. down as a, a leadership team, as a, you know, organization that's getting off the ground and say, who do we serve? What is our, you know, what or who is our ideal customer profile? Um, what do we bring to the table that nobody else has? And what ultimately does success look like for us? And I'm not talking the financial success, but also what if, if we could solve one industry challenge, if we could solve the challenge facing individuals in a particular role uh, and make their lives easier, better, this, this, and that, what does that ultimately look like? Uh, Because realistically, at the end of the day, they should be thinking 20 years from now, what do we want to be known for? And don't be known Mm -hmm. for being wealthy and growing. Again, that's, if you do the other things right, usually that follows. So it's kind of, what do you want to be known for having accomplished? And if you have those clear goals, everyone else in the organization you build will have those goals as well. Yeah. And I say most startup organizations, you know, whether you have a team or it's just you, these are questions that apply no matter what. And you need to be answering them, you know, as you're getting off the ground, because it's going to, it's easier to do it right to begin with than it is to pivot later, you know, and fixing it. So... Um, Jeff, this has been great. How would people get a hold of you if they need a fractional CMO? Yeah, so people can find me at misnomer.co. Uh, they can send me an email, Jeff at misnomer.co, uh, or I'm on LinkedIn. So hit me up. Okay. My name is Cash Miller. I'm the host of Marketing Master CEO of Titan Digital. We've been talking about building your brand as, you know, for startups because, you know, let me say, you got to get the right foundation. If you don't get the right foundation, then later, you know, it's going to be harder to grow your business. Thanks. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Marketing Masters, the agency power show. This show is produced by Titan Media Works and is a part of the Small Business Delivered Podcast Network. Check out smallbusinessdelivered.com for more info about upcoming shows, hosts, programs, and how you can start your very own podcast.